Thanks, Alan, very much. Uh, good morning, everyone. Let's show you pray as we come to God's work. Father, we pray that this morning your word would be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this morning we are thinking about the question what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You might say immediately, well, the gospel means something like good news. You've probably most of us heard that. Literally, gospel means good news. And last week, we were hearing that uh, the gospel means that there is now an open invitation for anyone to come back to God. Whether we're uh, a religious, churchy kind of person who thinks that they're close to God, or somebody who's far off from God, someone who's run away from God. All of us, through the gospel, can come back to God. But what actually is the gospel? What is that message that enables us to come back to God? Sometimes in church we can, we can talk quite a bit about the gospel, but we never actually directly address what it is. And that's actually very similar to how the New Testament approaches the gospel. It often mentions it in page after page. It's fundamental. But only in a few places does it actually address head-on and define for us what the gospel actually is. And so that can mean that we get a little bit fuzzy over time. Maybe we've never really got clear on what the gospel actually is. What is this good news that the Bible is all about? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to try and answer that question. And we're going to do that by going to one of those places in the New Testament where the gospel is very clearly defined for us. Uh, Alan's just read it for us. It's Romans chapter 1, uh, page 1128. And we're going to focus in uh, on just the first four verses where the gospel is defined for us. So have a look with me. I'll read those again, verses 1 to 4. And I can remember when I first saw how Paul talks about the gospel in these verses, being very surprised. So have a look with me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is God's gospel. It's good news from God. And it is concerning his son. You see that there in verse 3. Jesus Christ, who died and rose again nearly 2,000 years ago. And Paul sums it up at the end of our reading. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the gospel. It's the message that Jesus Christ is our Lord. I wonder if you're a little bit surprised by that. You might have been expecting Paul to talk about forgiveness. The gospel is good news that God forgives us. We might have been expecting Paul to talk about how the gospel is good news that the world is going to be restored. But actually, it's something more simple than that. It's the good news that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Actually, that fits in very well with how the word gospel was being used in the Roman Empire at that time. Whenever a new Roman Empire, emperor came to the throne, uh, he used to send out messengers into all the towns and cities of the empire. And they used to go into the, the, the town and go to blow their trumpet in the marketplace. And then they would proclaim their gospel. 
They'd say something like this. They'd say, Caesar is Lord. Submit to him. Turn back to him. That was the gospel in Roman times. And that's very similar, isn't it, to how the Bible uses this word, gospel. It's a message, something like this. It's a message that Jesus is Lord. So turn back to him. Well, that means that the gospel, then, is not a message that is primarily about us. It's not primarily about us getting forgiveness or about our world getting restored. It's a message primarily about Jesus, that he is our Lord. And so if we're going to share the good news uh, as a church, uh, individually, we're going to need to talk about Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but I know for myself that if I'm ever trying to share the gospel with somebody, I find it much, much easier to talk about church. I find it okay sometimes I can talk about God. I find it really hard to talk about Jesus. I don't know if you find that. But the thing is, I have to. Because if I'm not talking about Jesus, then I'm not talking about the gospel. And that means that I won't be talking about the good news that comes from God. Okay, well you might be thinking, hang on a sec, Sam. Why is the message that Jesus is Lord good news? I can understand that's good, that's news. I can understand that's a big message. If Jesus is Lord of the universe, that's a big message. But why is it good? Well, to answer that, uh, we need to put that very simple gospel message into a bigger context. We need to ask, answer four fundamental questions about our world. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time now. We're going to go through four big questions to help us to see why the gospel is such good news. So the first question is this. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? Well, you won't be surprised if you've been around church any time at all to know that the Bible's answer is God. God is the only creator of our world, and so he is our ruler. But a lot of people wouldn't believe that, would they? And so you might ask me, how would you prove that to me? Well, let's carry on in Romans and have a look down at verse 20. We're going to try and take our answers this morning um, by working through little bits of, of Romans. Have a look at verse 20 of chapter 1. Paul says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The Bible doesn't feel the need to kind of prove God's existence to us. It says that he's been clearly seen. He's obvious. It's saying that if you live in our world, you will not be able to get away from the sense that there is a creator, that there is somebody who has made us. Think of a beach ball, one of those big inflatable beach balls, and you blow it out of there, and then you try and push it under the water, but however much you push, it will just keep popping back up. And that's what life is like in our world. We can kind of keep trying to push the beach ball away, we can keep trying to ignore God, but whatever happens, it will just keep popping back up. We'll keep getting reminders that we live in a world made by God. Have you ever kind of been up in the moors uh, or been walking along the coastline here and been absolutely amazed by the beauty of what you see around you? Have you ever watched one of those nature programs on TV 
and just been marvelling at the intricacy, the diversity of life on earth. And have you ever thought to yourself, this cannot all come from nothing? Well, that's the beach ball popping back up, reminding us that there is a God who has given everything life. Or have you ever felt like relationships must mean something deeper, that love cannot just be a chemical reaction? Have, have you ever wondered why death seems so unnatural? Well, that's the beach ball popping back up, telling us that there is a God of love, there is a God of life, and that he made us. In our branch of the church, I wonder if when we think about good news, we often start with the word sin. Uh, we could get the impression, if we do that, that we live in a world that God has made to be bad, and we're just evil, and God's made us that way. And then salvation becomes about escaping from a bad world. But it's interesting, the Bible doesn't start with the bad news. It starts with a world that God says was good. And it starts with human beings that God said were very good. So when we think of salvation, let's try not to just think of having our sins forgiven or being able to avoid hell. Let's try and think of going back to the world as it should be. Going back to life in God's kingdom. Human beings loving God, enjoying His presence. Everything as it was meant to be. Well, that's where we come from. We come from God and His good world. Well, by now you're probably thinking, if that's where we come from, something has very definitely gone wrong. So let's ask our second question. What went wrong? Why is this not just a good world? We can see signs of that. But why is there also so much brokenness and pain in our world? Well, let's carry on in Romans 1, uh, verse 21. Although humanity knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. We were created by a relationship with God, but we thought that other things offered more. And so we turned away from God, instead to worship and build our lives on other things, other human beings, other things that God's made, but not on God. We tried pushing the beach ball below the surface, trying to live our lives without God, as though He didn't exist. And that is at the root of everything that is wrong with our world. And it's something the Bible calls sin. Uh, I was on a camp once uh, as a leader, and there was a talk being given to some 12 year olds, and they had a very helpful acronym that I've really remembered ever since to remind me what sin means. So I'll share it with you. I hope it's not patronising, but I find it very helpful. Um, it goes like this it goes, Shove off God. I'm in charge. No to your rules. S I N. And notice that it's not so much about breaking rules as about rejecting a relationship. Show off God. I'm in charge. No to your rules. 
And we can guess that that is going to have consequences. Uh, this week, we've been hearing the verdict on the trial of Oscar Pistorius. And whenever you think about that judgment, uh, it's very sad to hear the family of, of Reva say that they still don't feel like there's been justice for Reva. And whatever we think about that, I guess we can sympathise with that. Because however sorry Oscar is, Reva is never coming back. And he's just going to have to spend some time in jail. It's very sad, and he regrets it. Maybe it was a moment of madness. But Reva's not coming back. There are consequences. And the Bible is honest enough with us to tell us that we are in the same boat as Oscar. Except that we've done something much worse than what he did. We've stuck two fingers up to God. We've turned our backs on the creator God who gave us life, the God of love, and we said no thanks. And that is the moment we cannot have back. We've broken our relationship with God. And that is going to lead to us being separated from Him and everything good. That is going to lead to death. Um, I was thinking about the nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty. I guess we all remember that. Um, if, you, if you're from a different country or something, um, there's a big egg and he's sitting on a wall. <laughs> and it goes something like this uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. It's a bit weird when we teach our kids stuff like that, isn't it? Um, I think as churches, it's very tempting for us to share a kind of a Humpty Dumpty gospel. Something that says, if we try hard enough, we might be able to pick up all the pieces of brokenness in our world and somehow put Humpty together again, somehow fix our world. And so it all becomes about living moral good lives, or about going to church, or about seeking justice, or about educating people, feeding the poor. Well, of course, those are all good things, but they are not going to put our world back together again. The problem is much deeper than that. Our problem is a broken relationship with God. It's a moment we cannot have back. It's something only he can hear. Well, I think it's time to move on, and let's get some good news, shall we? So where do we come from? God. What's wrong with our world? Sin. What can put things right? Well, the Sunday school answer really helps us here. Jesus is the answer. We all knew that, I hope. But why is Jesus the answer? Why is he the answer? Well, firstly, because of his incarnation. Uh, this is something that I think the Catholic Church is better at talking about than we are. Uh, but it's a huge part of how God puts the world right. The Son of God came and took on our humanity. God didn't just leave us in our rejection of him. He stepped into our world to come to seek and to save us. And that means that when we look at Jesus, we see God himself. It's very easy to talk about God, to speculate God, but only Christianity has a message that the Creator stepped into our world to come and show God to us in the flesh. And so Jesus lived as the perfect man. 
Uh, he lived in dependence on the Spirit, always doing his Father's will, uh, opening blind eyes, making the deaf hear, making the lame live for joy. But that got him into trouble with people who wanted to reject God and rub God out of their lives. And so that leads us on to the second way that Jesus puts things right. And that is through his death in our place. Uh, look over the page with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Uh, verse 25, chapter 3. God presented Christ Jesus, King Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Atonement means reconciliation. It means at-one-ment, making something one. It means fixing our relationship with God. And Paul says here that Jesus died as a sacrifice to bring a restored relationship, atonement, with God. Now, there's a whole background to that, that phrase that we don't have to go in, that we don't have time to go into now. We do that a lot of time. But in essence, Paul is saying that the death that we deserve, our rejection of God, Jesus took himself. He died in our place. The one who never turned his back on God experienced God turning his back on him as he hung there on the cross. He bore God's wrath, God's anger at our rebellion for us. He died in our place. And if you read the accounts of Jesus' death in the Gospels, it's very, very clear that Jesus didn't die as some kind of passive victim. Sometimes it can make it sound like that, but he didn't. In fact, this was one of the key moments when he demonstrated his lordship, when he showed that he is the true king. Because he was big enough and brave enough to choose to lay down his life for us. He was big enough, a good enough king, to wrestle and defeat the powers of darkness on the cross. He was big enough to bear God's wealth in our place. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, thirdly, he then rose again three days later. Um, and we mustn't stop at the cross. We've got to go on to the resurrection. Because in it, Jesus destroys death. He absolutely shatters it. And he gains the power to bring new life. And that means that he will return one day, the risen king, to put everything in this world finally to rights. He will fully bring in God's kingdom. <coughs> resurrection. I'm not really into golf, I'm honest with you, but even I tuned in a few weeks ago to watch Rory McIlroy cut his way to win the Open Championship. Uh, it was a bit tense at times, wasn't it? But it was great to see those pictures of Rory lifting up the trophy in front of the cheering crowds. And then the newspapers the following day saying, he did it! He did it! Actually, I think it's probably the Belfast Telegraph that had that, but anyway. <coughs> That feeling that we get when we watch sport, when we see somebody else's hard work and then get to celebrate their victory if they win, that feeling is what's at the heart of the gospel message. Jesus came to destroy them and he achieved a massive victory over 
He came to bring us back to God. And so we say, He has done it. He has done it. And the trophy that Jesus is lifting there as he celebrates his victory, it's us. We're his trophy. The people he came to save, his church. Jesus comes to establish God's kingdom. And that is good news because he's not a king who just comes to force us to submit to him. He's a king who comes to conquer death so that we can have life and salvation and a place in God's kingdom. Okay, well we've heard where we've come from. Uh, we've heard what's gone wrong. And we've heard how the world is going to be put right. But there's one final question that we've got to answer. And we've got to answer this one. Because so far what we've been talking about is stuff to do with the world. It's coming out here. And our final question is this. How can I be put right? How can I be put right? How can I enter Jesus' kingdom? Well, from what we've said so far, there can really only be one answer. Just have a look back with me in verse 25 of chapter 3. It says that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Jesus' sacrifice comes to us, and we receive that sacrifice by faith in Jesus, our King. How can we be put right? By faith. Faith is one of those kind of widely words, isn't it? But again, we often don't always find that word. But all of us have used our faith in a different kind of way already this morning. When we came into church and we took a look at the pew that we were sitting on, all of us were exercising faith in the pew. The pew was kind of making a promise to us. It was saying something like this. It was saying, if you sit in the pew, I may not be very comfortable, particularly towards the end of a 25-minute sermon, but I will hold your weight. That's the promise that the pew makes. And all of us kind of look at the pew and think, yeah, okay, trust that promise. I'll sit, I'll sit down. And so we've done that. We've taken the weight of our own two feet and sat down in the and that is faith. Many of us here have done the same thing with Jesus. We've listened to the promise that he offers us of life, a place in God's kingdom, of joy forever, without us having to do anything. We've listened to that promise. And we've taken the weight of our own two feet. We've tr stopped trying to pick up the pieces of our broken lives ourselves. And we said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to fix it. And we found rest. We found rest for our souls, for our bodies, for our world, in Him. So the gospel is not at any point about what we do, it's about us receiving what God has done for us in Jesus. Okay, so where did we come from? God. What went wrong with our world? Sin. Our rejection of God. What will put things right? Christ. How can I be put right? Faith. God, sin, Christ, faith. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Simple enough for all of us to get our heads around. Simple enough for 
any of us to share. But it's also big enough to give hope for our whole world. There's a church nearby that's got a sign outside that I was driving past a few weeks ago. And it says this, it says, Jesus believes in you. It's quite clever, isn't it? Kind of reversing a kind of common Christian slogan. And I'm sure they've got good intentions. As we've said, often we've tended to start with the bad news. And I suppose they wanted to try and give some kind of possibility. But whatever else they're saying, they're not saying the gospel. That is a Humpty Dumpty gospel, isn't it, if we're honest? It's a gospel that says Jesus is going to trust you to put all the pieces together again. Do you remember the message uh, that the shepherds heard from the angels that first Christmas? And the angel said, Today, in the city of David, a Saviour has been born to you. And he is Christ the Lord. A Saviour has been born to you. Christ the Lord. Well, that is the gospel we've heard, isn't it? And so as a community, we want to be a people who say to the world, we believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Our loving Father, who created the world and all that is in it, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for sending him. Thank you that he died for our sins. Thank you that he rose from the dead. Thank you that through his blood we can come back to you and be sure of a place in your kingdom. Father, we love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Please make us a community that is all about him. In his name we pray. Amen.